There's a really great story in the Bible about a Syrian named Naaman. Naaman the Syrian was the commander of the armed forces for the kingdom of Syria. He was wildly successful. His master, the king, had placed all things under his control. Everywhere he went, this man had victory uh, in the military battles that he was engaged in. However, a problem arose. Naaman, who was in the prime of life, contracted leprosy, which at that time was a fatal disease. As you can imagine, this sent him into a depression and a tailspin and a discouragement. But God, being faithful and loving all people, had made a way that one of the servant girls uh, in his house was actually not Syrian, but was Jewish. She was from the nation of Israel, and this servant girl who sees her master's discouragement and depression says to him, don't be dismayed. There is a God who heals, and he has a prophet named Elisha who is in Israel, and Elisha has the power to heal you. Well, Naaman is ecstatic at the possibility that he might be saved from this life-threatening disease, so he goes to his master, the king of Syria, and says, can you prepare the paperwork to request from the king of Israel that Elisha the prophet might help me? Well, Israel is under the dominion of Syria, so when the king of Syria sends a letter, the king of Israel is like, yes, whatever you want. And Elisha is overjoyed at the possibility to show that the God of Israel is not just the God of Israel, but the God of the whole world, and that God's healing, saving, rescuing power is available not just to the physical descendants of Abraham, but to all people anywhere who will put their trust in him. So Naaman the Syrian travels to see Elisha the prophet. When he arrives, Elisha says, I've got great news for you. You can be healed. Simply go and wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you will be miraculously healed from this life-threatening social outcasting disease. Now, you and I, if you're familiar with this story, or you may be hearing it for the first time, you would think he's going to be like, well, that's super great news. But crazily enough, Naaman gets angry. He says, look, I thought this man was a prophet of God. I figured he would just wave his hand. Now, he uses that language, wave his hand, but snap his finger, just do something simple, and all the leprosy would be gone. What is the deal with going to wash in the Jordan River? Naaman doesn't understand that. He thinks, look, if it's about cleanliness, I should go wash in the rivers that are in Syria. Those are much cleaner. Why would I go into the Jordan River? It's a dirty, dingy, uh, muddy river. Why would anybody wash in that? Now, <clears throat> he refuses to do it, but his servants who are watching, one of them thinks, this is crazy. And so goes to Naaman and says, hey, look, 
If the prophet had asked you to do something really hard, like scale an impossibly difficult mountain or bring a large sum of money, you would have gladly done those things, wouldn't you? And Naaman's like, well, yes, of course. And the servant says, well, just because God made it easy doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Why not just do what the prophet asked you to do? It doesn't matter that it doesn't make any sense to you. Just try obeying and see what happens. And so Naaman goes to the Jordan River, washes himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he is miraculously healed. Now what I love about this story is that for Naaman, there were sort of two options in his engagement with God that he was good with, and these two options sort of resonate with me. And if I'm going to kind of graph them out for you, which I have a chart for you to kind of show you. On one hand, <clears throat> Naaman was good with the sort of idea just simply waving your hand. If the prophet had done nothing except say, you're healed, Naaman was good with that. This is what I would call the sort of do-nothing option. Naaman would get, okay, look, it's some sort of magical thing. He waved his hand, he snapped his finger, he did whatever. If that had been how this had worked, Naaman was fine with that. He was comfortable with that way of engaging with God, the sort of nothing's required of me, I don't have to do anything. The man of God, the magical guy, he just snaps his finger, he waves his hand, leprosy's gone, get back to what we were doing. That was the first option that Naaman says in the story in the Bible. He would have been fine with that. It's also revealed in the story in the Bible that he would have been fine with the sort of polar opposite uh, attitude. Now, when I put it together this week, sort of catchy, I labeled this one the do everything. See, do nothing, do everything. That was kind of catchy. When I was going over it last night and practicing and kind of praying through it, I wished I had reworded this. So in your notes, if you're taking notes, you write down something different. What I wish that one says is do something hard, okay? Naaman would have been fine with that. Essentially, the servant says, hey, look, if you were asked to go do something really difficult, like climb some really high mountain or bring some great amount of money or win some great battle, surely you would, have, you would put all your effort and all your energy into doing that. And Naaman's like, well, yes, of course. He gets that, okay, sometimes in life you just got to work for it. You got to just lower your shoulder and you got to do what's asked of you. And really good things only come to those who work really hard at them. If that had been how he had interacted with God, Naaman would have been fine with that either. So the do-nothing option, good with that. Do something really, really hard and earn it, good with that. But God didn't choose either one of those options. Instead, God chose something in the middle, and I call that on our chart, He's being asked to believe and submit and obey. He's got to do something. It's not very hard. There's no great mountains to climb. There's no great armies to defeat. He's just got to walk over to a river that's nearby, go into the river seven times, wash himself, and he'll be clean. There's something he has to do, but it's not very difficult, but it's not nothing. The thing about it, though, is it doesn't make any sense. It's confusing to him. 
Magic man snapping his fingers, that makes sense. I'm good with that. I got to accomplish some great task and be a hero and earn my uh, salvation rescue. I'm good with that. This one in the middle, that doesn't make any sense to him. But that's where God places his healing and his rescue. In a place where he has to do something, but that something involves submitting and believing and obeying, and that's where the miraculous rescue from God is located. Now, the thing about this story that really resonated with me As I was thinking through what Paul is trying to communicate to us, really what God is trying to communicate to us in the book of Romans, this story helped me make sense of a very, very important teaching in Romans 10 about how it is that we experience the salvation and the blessings of God. So I'd like you to take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 10. If you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 918, Romans chapter 10. Now, in the book of Romans, in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is dealing with a specific question. Why haven't more Jewish people come to faith in Jesus? Jesus is Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish scriptures all point to him being the Messiah. Paul himself is a Jew, and he's come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's wrestling with the question that as a Jewish believer in Jesus, he's in the minority. And he's wondering, why haven't more people come to faith in Jesus. And Romans 9 through 11 is answering that question. Now, to understand some of what's going on in Romans 9 through 11, that chart that we use for Naaman is not just true of how God interacted with Naaman, it's also true how God was interacting with the Jewish people, as Paul points out. Romans 9 through 11 presents the case that there are some Jewish people who would have been comfortable if God had offered to them salvation with the do-nothing option. The do-nothing option, we put that back up on the chart. The do-nothing option from Naaman's case. If God had simply waved his hand and said, hey, look, As long as you're a biological descendant of Abraham, you're fine. Salvation is yours. You're part of the covenant. You're good. And there were Jewish people living at the time of Paul who thought, we don't have to do anything. We're fine. We're Jews. We're descendants of Abraham. Of course we're going to be rescued. Of course we're going to be saved. Of course God is for us. And they were very comfortable With the do-nothing option, God will just snap his fingers, God will wave his hand, and because we're biological descendants of Abraham, we're good. We're going to heaven. We've got eternal life. We're all good. There were also some Jewish people at the time of Paul that he's writing about 
who were good with the other side of things. Look in Romans 10 if you're there. Verses 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. There were a group of people, Jewish people who at the time, who were very comfortable with the other extreme, which was give us something hard to do. And in their case, it was the keeping of the law. That they were comfortable with the idea that God's blessings and salvation came to those who legalistically kept the 613 commands that God had revealed in the Mosaic law. And they were very comfortable with the idea that blessing would come through their very strict obedience. And that it was almost impossibly difficult, it was impossibly difficult, to keep those commands. But they were comfortable with the idea that salvation and blessing would come through their willingness to legalistically keep anything God asked them to do. However, as we're about to see in Romans 10, for the Jewish people, God did not choose the do-nothing option, nor did God choose the do-something-hard option. And what we'll also see is that the same is true for you and I today. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not Jewish. As a human being, we tend to be comfortable with the idea that salvation might come through the do-nothing option. There are people today who think God will just simply wave his hand and everybody will go to heaven. God will simply snap his fingers and there's nothing anybody has to do. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you are. Nothing matters. God will just simply wave his hand and everybody gets to be a believer. Everybody gets to be a Christian. There are people who think, well, yeah, I grew up in a Christian family, or I live in a Christian society, or I live around Christian. I went to a Christian school. God's simply going to wave his hand, and I'm in. I receive the salvation. I receive the blessing. And there are many people today who are comfortable if God offered salvation through the do-nothing option. Everybody gets in. There are also people comfortable today if God made salvation and blessing available through doing something hard. If we were asked to do really good deeds or live a really good life, there are some people today who are convinced that if they can just have their physical bodies in the right shape and eat the right diet and exercise the right amount, that somehow salvation and blessing will come through that. There are people that are very comfortable with the idea that, hey, look, 
it's my job to fix society, and i got to throw as much energy and effort into that, and if I'm supposed to experience blessing from God, it will come through the fact that I'm trying to right the wrongs in society. There are people who think, if I can be successful in this life, if I can work hard, if I can make money, if I can make something of myself, somehow blessings from God will be associated with the efforts that I put in. Some people think, look, if I devote my life to helping heal people or help people or counsel people or do good for people, that somehow salvation and the blessings of God will be associated with me working really, really hard for it. And whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, we resonate with either of these two options, and we would be comfortable if salvation and blessing either came through God just waving his hand and giving it to everybody, or through being asked to do something really hard and having to earn it. But what Paul's about to tell us in Romans 10 is that for you and I today, God did not choose either of those options. Look with me at what he says. Starting in verses 6 to 7, Paul says, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now those verses may be a little confusing, but essentially what Paul is saying is, it's not the do something hard option. He's saying God has not set this up where if you and I want to experience the blessings of heaven, if you and I want to experience forgiveness for sins, if you and I want to experience peace with God, that we've got to go do something really hard like ascend into heaven and drag God's blessings out of heaven or go on some great journey into the depths of the earth to somehow pull out God's blessings. Paul's saying God didn't make this hard. He did not choose the option where you got to go climb some mountain, you got to go conquer some enemy, you got to go give some amount of money. God did not make this hard. That's what verses 6 and 7 are saying. God did not choose to have salvation and blessing coming as a result of us doing something hard. Verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message that we proclaim concerning the faith that we proclaim. It's not that hard. It's not that far from you. It's near you. But you have to do something. Verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul is saying it's not the do-nothing option. There are some people who think, I'm in. I'm a Christian because I guess I'm not a Muslim or I'm not a Buddhist or I'm uh, I'm not Hindu. I must be Christian. There are some people who think, well, I'm good with God because... Well, he didn't say I wasn't, or I've not consciously rejected him, or I grew up in a Christian family, or I come to church, or I'm around. Paul is saying that's not the case. That's the do-nothing option. But according to this, you got to do something. There is something that has to be done. God did not choose the do-nothing option where he simply snaps his fingers or waves his hand, and everybody's good. He didn't make it really hard. 
but he didn't make it about not doing nothing. Instead, he put it somewhere in the middle. And he asks us to submit, believe, and obey. And what is it that we're asked to do? Verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now on one hand, that is something that you and I have to do. Every single person who wants to experience salvation, every single person who wants to receive forgiveness for sins, every single person who wants to be right with God, every single person who wants to have eternal life, every single person who wants God to heal their diseases and to bless them, every single person who wants the relationships that they have right now to continue on into eternity has to do something, and that something is you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in in your heart that God raised him from the dead. God's not just going to simply wave his hand and go, well, yeah, you get it. No. Do you hear what it says? Every single person must do something. But on the other hand, what it is that we're being asked to do is not that hard. <laughs> It doesn't require us trying to find a way to climb our way into heaven. It doesn't require us climbing into the deep. It's near to us. It's close to us. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Just confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Now look with me. Is there anything else in there? Did I miss something? It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now listen. If I said to you, and if it was true, that for a million dollars, you could purchase for yourself eternal life, you would never die. Any diseases, any difficulties, ultimately would be taken away. The work that you're doing now could last for eternity. The relationships that you have could last for eternity. The peace and the joy of knowing God could be yours every day from now on through eternity. If I said that cost you a million dollars, and if that was true, every single one of us would spend some time on earning money to try to have that million dollars to make this. God's saying, look, I didn't make it that hard. You don't have to go do that. I made it very, very simple. It's very near to you. It's not nothing. You've got to do something. What is it? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not about accumulating a million dollars. It's not about going to church every week. It's not about working really hard. It's not about trying to be a great person. It's not about trying to overcome the wounds from your path. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're like, no, no, I don't have to do any. The do nothing option, it's not there. You have to do something. What? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's why it says in verses 11 through 13, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single human being, regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless of what you're going to do in the future, regardless of how you've hurt other people, regardless of how you've been hurt by other, anybody, regardless of your ethnic background, regardless of your age, regardless of anything about you, every single person who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Notice it doesn't say every single person will be saved. That's the do-nothing option. God didn't choose that. Notice it doesn't say every single person who goes to church enough times and is a good enough person and gives enough money and helps enough neighbors, they will be. It doesn't say that either. What does it say? Every single person who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. It's not that hard. God could have made it hard, but he didn't. He made it very simple, very straightforward, because he loves us. Now why? Why do you have to confess with your mouth? And how do you do that? Well, see, the truth of the matter is, there was a man named Jesus, sent by God, He did miraculous things on the earth. Nobody had ever done anything like Jesus. Nobody, I find this amazing, nobody in human history has ever even claimed to have done half the things that Jesus did. I mean, nobody's even made that claim. He showed up on this earth. He raised people from the dead. He stilled storms. He opened the eyes of the blind. He caused people to heal. He multiplied food. He did stuff that nobody in all of human history has ever even claimed to do. He did all of that stuff because the power of God was with him, yet he was crucified on a cross by the Roman Empire. But God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and declared that Jesus is Lord of all, that he is not dead today but is alive. And you and I are being asked to believe that. Well, how do you know if you believe that? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you're willing to say the words, Jesus is Lord, that shows what's going on in your heart. You actually believe that that Israelite named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago is not dead but alive. He's Lord. And when you say Jesus is Lord... That shows what's going on in your heart. It's like Naaman having to go into the Jordan River. God was kind to him to give him something to do, made no sense to him, but something to do to show him what was going on in his heart. So too God has been kind to you and I to give us something to do to show us what's going on in our heart. And if anybody is willing to say, Jesus is Lord, then that shows that they believe in their heart that he's not some dead guy in a tomb over in Jerusalem, that he's been raised from the dead and you will be saved. Now, how do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Some people pray a prayer and ask Jesus into their heart. 
That's a way of acknowledging and confessing that Jesus is Lord. Some people make profession of faith. They're given an opportunity at a particular time. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Now, some people just go through the routine. But some people actually at that moment believe Jesus is Lord and actually are professing that Jesus is Lord. That's confessing that Jesus is Lord. Some people come forward in a church service. Some people raise their hand when asked, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Some people check a box. Those are all different ways of confessing that Jesus is Lord. Some people, as they're going through their work day, have a friend who comes to them and says, hey, look, there's a God who loves you, who wants to help you, and his name is Jesus. And they go home in the midst of a horrendous day or a horrendous life situation, and they fall on their knees and go, God, I don't know if you exist. Jesus, I don't know if you're there, but Jesus, if you are, please come and rescue me. And when he comes and rescues them, they say, thank you. That's confessing that Jesus is Lord. Some people sit in church, and it actually happened last hour, and the pastor says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and somebody shouted out, Jesus is Lord, guess what? That's confessing that Jesus is Lord, and they experience salvation. Look, there's lots of different ways to do this. There's not some sort of right way, but you have to do something. You have to somehow confess that Jesus is Lord. You can do it in the quietness of your heart. I get that. But somehow, doing nothing will not work. If you just say, well, I'm in, you're not. If you just say, well, I'm in because I'm not out, you're not. If you say, well, I'm in because everybody around me is in, you're not. But if you confess with your mouth, if you come forward, if you check a box, if you raise a hand, if you pray a prayer, if you speak out loud in church, Jesus is Lord. Listen to what this says. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Anybody who does that, anytime, anywhere, will be saved. Listen, there's not one right way to do it. You simply have to confess. So what do we do with this message? Well, first, for those who are not yet believers in Jesus, please hear what I'm saying. The do-nothing option is not an option. You may not understand, I may not understand why it's not an option. Why can't God just wave his hand and everybody's in? Why can't God just snap his fingers and everybody's in? We may not understand that fully, I don't understand that fully, but I'm telling you, and it's not me, this is written down in the word of God, the do nothing option is not an option. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There will be nobody in heaven who has not confessed that Jesus is Lord. That's how this works. But listen, he's not made this hard. He's not asked you to do some Herculean task. 
He's not given you some gargantuan thing to do. He's not asked for a certain amount of money. He's not asked for certain actions or certain behaviors. He's not demanding that you go up into heaven and bring Jesus down. He's not going into the depths to pull Jesus up. He's made this very, very simple. Now listen, I understand. It's hard. It's embarrassing. It's difficult. But it's not hard to do. Simply say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. What will happen if somebody right here, right now says Jesus is Lord out loud? They will be saved. Do you understand what this says? Do you understand how straightforward and simple this is? That God loves you enough to say, look, I could put any difficult burden on your back. I don't want to do that. You have to do something. The do-nothing option is not available. He's made it as straightforward and as plain as possible. Jesus is Lord. Now listen, you can be a Christian. I've said Jesus is Lord like 50 times up here. That's good. You know why? It keeps reminding me that that's actually what I believe. It's crazy to think some dead Jewish guy from 2,000 years ago was Lord. But when I say it, it reminds me. That is what I believe. That's why I'm up here. That's why I gave my life to do this. That's why I'm spending time trying to. He really does change people's lives. I've seen him do miraculous things. I heard him talk to me this morning. He's not dead. He's alive. Jesus is Lord. And God says, look, you're not required to become a pastor. You're not required to go do a whole bunch of things. But you do have to say Jesus is Lord. And there's some people that are like, well, I don't know. Did I do it right? Well, say out loud right now that Jesus is Lord and you're good. Do you understand the point? It's not a matter of did I get the magical formula right. Right now, if you are willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What about what I did when I was 10 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what? He is. Thank you. Now, if you confess that hundreds of times before or this is your very first time, listen to the word of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're going to be saved. You're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And whether you said it a hundred times or for the very first time, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God is kind. This is not hard. You do have to do something. Please, please do not believe the lie that I'm just good because I'm good. God will figure it all out in the end. God's already figured it out and he's telling you what to do. Don't think, well, I go to a Christian college, I'm here at Calvin College, or I go to Cornerstone, I'm good, or I'm in a Christian family, or I've been raised around Christians, and well, America's more Christian than it is Muslim or Hindu or something else. Please, the do-nothing option is not an option. And listen, if you're spending your time trying to fix society, trying to keep yourself from dying, trying to make your life successful, look, there's lots of great stuff going on there. But please don't think that somehow salvation, rescue, blessing from God is tied to you working really, really hard. It's not. God loves you too much to let it rest on your shoulders.
He's simply asking you, submit and obey and believe. Whether you understand or don't understand it. Naaman, why not? Why not go to the Jordan River and wash seven times? Do you hear what God is saying? Why not confess that Jesus is Lord? Do you know how many people have been saved? Because they've been in some situation where they're like, look, I got nothing else. I might as well try this thing. Do you know that that works? We would think it shouldn't, right? No, 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 you got to really have thought this through. You gotta, look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, why not try that? If you tried everything else, why not try that? Why not take God his word and say, you know what? I'm willing to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And the really merciful, kind thing about God is he's desperate for anybody to do this. He's not sitting back there waiting. Well, we're going to make it a little bit harder. He's made it as easy as possible. The do-nothing option cannot be an option. But short of that, this is as easy as it can possibly get. This is as straightforward as it can possibly get. Please, please. I didn't write this. Listen to the word of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, that's the first aspect of this. The second is for those who are Christians here. The verses continue, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My friends who are believers in Jesus, who have confessed Jesus as Lord, because the do-nothing option is not an option, you and I got to go tell some people this message. We got to go tell them. Now, the good news is, the thing we got to tell them is not difficult. What they have to do is not hard. They just simply have to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Listen, I know, I'm a pastor, but I've spent a long time trying... Sharing the gospel with people, it's like, what am I supposed to do? You know what? You just do what Naaman's servant girl did. When somebody's going through a difficult time, when somebody's going, just say, there's a God who can heal that. There's a God who can help. And his name is Jesus. And if you're willing to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over your cancer, and if you're willing to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over your job, and if you're willing to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over you, you will be saved. But because the do-nothing option is not an option, you and I got to go tell somebody this message. But look, here's the good news for us who are Christians. Not only is the thing that they have to do not hard, telling them the message isn't hard. Now, it's scary. (laughs) I give you that. But it's not hard. We don't even have to convince them it's true. God says faith comes by hearing, but they can't. They can't have faith if they don't hear. And all you and I got to do is find some way to tell them Jesus is Lord. And if they'll confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts, they'll be saved. If you do nothing and they do nothing, they cannot experience salvation. If you share with them that Jesus is Lord and they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. 